0: We're in a series of declaring who we are in Christ, and today we hope to see who we are in Christ's words. Who knows that we are who He says we are? But if we don't believe we are who He says we are, it has an impact on our enjoying that reality. Who knows that's true? Amen. There's a thing called the law, the lid, where you don't ascend above the level of your belief. And to illustrate that, I've read about flea circuses. I don't know if there is such a thing. Is the flea circus just a parable? Well, in the story of the flea circus, you can put fleas in a jar, put the lid on it, and the fleas will stay in there for a season. Obviously, you put holes in it, and they'll learn not to jump as high as a lid. And then you can take the lid off, and they'll never leave the jar. And it's a flea circus. Well, I don't want to test that here. <laughs> I visited a church once that had fleas. We won't say where it was. Matthew chapter 11, let's see what Jesus had to say, and my prayer is that this morning's sermon will take the lid off your thinking so you can get out of that flea-bitten jar you've been living in. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 2, I'll read it and then I'll explain. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. Now, if you're new to the good news, new to the gospel, it's a story of Jesus coming the The Son of God came as the Messiah that was prophesied in the first 39 books of the Bible that a Messiah would come and bring salvation and redemption to the world, restoring our relationship with God. But before he officially began his public ministry, a forerunner, who happened to be his cousin through Mary, named John, began to proclaim that the Messiah was coming. He was called John the Baptist. Now, don't get confused. There's not a John the Methodist or John the Pentecostal. He's called John the Baptist because he was John the Baptizer. He would immerse people in water or John the Dipper or John the Immersist. He would preach the Messiah's coming, make his paths straight. Get your life in order. Stop cheating, lying, and stealing and get yourself right. And let me baptize you as a ceremonial washing to prepare you for the new day that's coming in the coming of the Messiah. And he preached up boldly in the wilderness everywhere he went. And one day the king came out to hear him and he let the king have it. You know, about an incestuous relationship he had going on. He took his brother's wife and told him to get straight. Well, that wound up getting him in jail. So here he is in prison. Maybe he's having doubts. You know, uh, Jesus, I pointed you out to people uh, but could... You know, are you really the Messiah? So he sent two disciples to him, and they said to Jesus in verse 3, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, And the poor had the gospel preached to them. Isn't that awesome? Notice the next sentence, verse 6. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Have you ever been offended at God? He doesn't necessarily do things your way. You've been doing what He's told you to do and then He shifts gears. And suddenly you're in jail facing impending death. And you hear all this good news. People are getting healed. Jesus is doing miracles, man. He can feed 5,000 men plus women and children with five pieces of bread and two fish. And there you sit. He's raising the dead, making the deaf hear and the dumb speak and the blind see. And telling good news to the poor. And here you sit. That had to be offensive. So Christ sends him this exhortation. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. There was a dotted line on John's neck. He was fixing to go on to his eternal reward. And he had done a good job. He had basically closed out the Old Testament, opened the way through the people of God for the New Testament to come in the person of Jesus. All right, verse 7. They departed. They went to tell John, boy, I don't know how John took it, but I'm sure he prayed. And Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, now why couldn't he have said these things when those guys were there? Why couldn't he? Because God expects us to walk in who we are and not have to constantly be coddled. Right? Right? Years ago, in the early days of this church, some people rose up that didn't like me. And boy, it shook me up. And I went to the Lord to pray, and he just seemed to be silent. And I was tempted to think his silence was confirmation that I was a loser. And I left town for a couple of days, went to a prayer center, tried to do some fasting, and went to a Christian bookstore and was led to buy a book by John Bevere called Breaking Intimidation. I read that book non-stop. Well, I stopped to get a drink and went to the bathroom a couple of times. but I read it cover to cover. It was like food for my soul. Then I went in the bathroom. I can take you to the very place. Looked in the mirror and said what I knew as the truth. You didn't put yourself where you are. You didn't call yourself. God called you. He confirmed it again and again in multiple ways. This is a bunch of crap. You know, a little piece of dung can make a big stink. A little fire can make a lot of smoke. This isn't what it appears to be. You are a man of God and you will succeed. You will pursue. Alright? Then suddenly, I had a sense of the awareness of God's voice in my life. Then suddenly, I had confirmation see, God likes to speak to his children up here at the level of their ears, not down here at the level of their despair. Because if he runs to you every time you're knocked down and speaks to you down there, you'll never learn to walk. Who's, ta- who's taught a baby to walk? Eventually you've got to let them fall and let them learn how to pick themselves up. It's the same way spiritually. And so it was obviously the expectation of the Messiah that John would pick himself up and I believe the day he faced Herod's sword, he did it bravely. Ready to be offered up. Paul did it. I'm ready to be offered up. i pledged my head to heaven, the Keith Green song said. Courageous. What a mighty man. So now Jesus compliments the man outside the hearing of his disciples' ears. He began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out in the wilderness to see? You know, Why did you guys go out and hear John? A reed shaken by the wind? Is that what you went out to see? The grass blow the the leaves around? John wasn't that kind of guy. He stood against the winds of adversity and wasn't swayed by the winds of popularity. But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments or a man in nice clothes? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing or nice clothes, John's clothes weren't nice, are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written. And then he quotes this Old Testament passage that was talking about John the Baptist. Behold, I send my messenger before your face. So the messenger is John. The your is speaking of the Messiah, who will prepare your way before you. This was John, the one who came to prepare the way for the Messiah. Verse 11. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women... There has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. So of those born of women, from Eve onward, there's been no greater one to arise than John the Baptist. This means he was greater than Abraham, greater than David, greater than Isaac and Jacob, greater than Joseph. He was the greatest Old Testament character who closed it out as a martyr an awesome man worthy of our honor. There's not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Let's pray. Lord, I ask You to speak to us from Your Word today. May we leave here with a greater sense of our purpose, with a vision for who we are and to live from that position in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, I would like to speak to you on the subject, you are great. If you would, if you don't mind, tell someone, you are great. You are great. Now, Jesus didn't say what he said to put John the Baptist down. He didn't say he was inferior. He said he's greater. But we, the least in the kingdom of heaven, are greater than him. What does that mean? We stand on his shoulders. He paved the way, now we go on the way. It's our turn now. We're living in the greatest time of history. Generations before us were called great, we're called to be greater because we stand on their shoulders reaping benefits from what they've done and building something for the next generation to operate off of. I hope you catch the generational sense of this thing. Before we dive in, To the sermon, I want to establish two points. Rest assured that God is great. He is the absolute greatest. If there's any greatness in us, it's been bestowed upon us by our great God. So he is the greatest. All right? No one greater than him. And our greatness is related to the greatness of the gospel. I'm going to look at those two things and then we'll dive into the points I have for you today. God is great. In the year 1977, NASA launched Voyager 1 into space to study our solar system. And it's still out there. It begins its mission exploring outer space
1: 1977
0: two years later in 79 the Voyager reaches Jupiter two years a year later in 1980 the Voyager reached Saturn flying by close enough In 1990, 13 years later, the Voyager turns and takes a picture of Earth 3.7 billion miles away and it's just a speck. In 2012, the Voyager left our solar system 35 years later. Its next encounter will be with a star that will take 40,000 years. This is one of modern science's greatest achievements. But it has only explored a tiny fraction of God's universe. Astronomers have estimated that over 100 billion galaxies just traveling across our galaxy, known as the Milky Way, at the speed of light, would take someone 100,000 years at 186,000 miles per second. Isaiah 40.12 asks the question, Who else has marked the heavens with the span of His hand? Suddenly, we realize how small we are and how great God is. How great is our God. The heavens declares His glory and the earth shows His handiwork. God is king over all the earth and worthy of our praise. We give him some praise. Elder Greg is coming to tell us some things about the greatness of the gospel that's taking the earth by storm.
1: In any war, there are two things that you really want to control. You want to control territory, and you want to control what we used to call back in the Vietnam days, the hearts and the minds of the people. What is taking place in the war that is going on here on earth today is a battle for the hearts and the minds of the people. And what we are not hearing, brothers and sisters, here in the U.S. is what is actually taking place worldwide. Some of the research that I have for you today that I want to tell you about comes from... The CIA, so everybody raise your right hands. We'll deputize you as secret agents. It does come from the CIA and other sources as well. The CIA publishes a a book called the World Fact Book every year, and they keep track of things that are going on in the world, obviously. As a matter of fact, they keep track of what's going on in 260 countries. Let me tell you what's going on in, in the countries. And this is news that you and I are not hearing From our media. Our media is telling us what? That the world is being consumed by Islam. It's not the case. Let me tell you what's going on in the world. The world is being consumed by the good news of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There are, on that little dot, that little speck there, that the Voyager took a picture of, there are about 7 billion people. Out of those 7 billion people... One in three today declare themselves as followers of Christ Jesus. One in three. And that number is growing by over 25 million per year. People don't tell you this. As a matter of fact, the number of new converts to Christianity each year exceeds the number of converts to the next 11 so-called great world religions. There are 2.5 million converts to Christ Jesus each year, and most of those are not casual converts. You need to hear me. These are converts that are being made in places where to declare the name of Christ Jesus means that you're very likely to lose your life or your family or at the very least your livelihood. And people are still receiving the name of Jesus Christ and saying, yeah, that's for me, that's for me. So let me just go through a few facts for you today so that you can be encouraged. These are things that you don't hear, but you need to know about this, brothers and sisters. In Mongolia, in Mongolia, the Christian missionary group Barnabas Fund said that in 1989 there were four Christians in Mongolia. And in 2008 there were about 40,000, praise God. In Singapore, one of the most populous areas On the face of the planet, in Singapore, the number of Christians has increased in 1990 from 12.7% of the population to 17.5% of the population in 2010. In South Korea, the number of Christians has increased from 20.7% of the population in in 1985 to 29.5% of the population in 2005. And in Vietnam, we're all familiar with Vietnam... In the last decade, the number of Christians has increased by 600%. The name of Jesus Christ is being lifted up across the world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So let's talk about the King Kong in all the world. And that's got to be China, right? King Kong. 1.355 billion people live in China today. And in 1949, when the Chinese Communist Party took power in China, Mao Zedong, the premier, vowed to to wipe Christianity away from China. He vowed that he would do that. Never again would the name of Jesus be lifted in China. Well, let me tell you what's going on in China. And there's a, a college... Purdue University actually has a college that studies China and world religions. And the head of the department that studies that estimates that since 1980, that Christianity has been growing by 10% per year in China. To the point that there are now today more Christians than there are members of the Chinese Communist Party in China. (laughs) Amen. Amen. It's good news. At current growth rates, by 2030, China will become the most populous Christian country on the face of the planet. As a matter of fact, by 2030, if things continue the way that they're going, one in six Chinese will declare the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Isn't that awesome? Here's the thing. Um, The Chinese government is well aware of what's taking place and they know that they're powerless to stop this good news from going forth. And they recognize that literally what happened in, in Poland several decades ago when the Christians rose up and the Iron Curtain ultimately fell because of it, they're worried that that same thing is taking, will take place in China. And I read a report that an elder of one of the Chinese churches said, we pray daily that the government will never declare religious freedom in China because he recognizes that the gospel is going forth despite the controls on the gospel. Hallelujah. So anyway, I just want to declare to you today, brothers and sisters, something that you don't hear regularly but you need to hear, you need to know that the gospel is great. And the reason that it's great is because it is the only message that can resonate in this way. We have a great and good God. And He made a way to relate to us by giving us His only Son. No other religion can declare that we have a God that wants to relate to us through His Son. And He made a way to do that. So rejoice, brothers and sisters. The news is good.
0: Amen. Oh, Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You are great. Can we say that? You are great. Our greatness doesn't come from a vacuum, it comes from Almighty God, and we are built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, and the primary prophet that first came was John the Baptist. Yes? There are Baptist prophets. <laughs> That was free, Pastor Dale. (laughs) Gabriel said that John the Baptist was great. I mean, this is a pronouncement of this man's birth to his father, Zachariah. He said in Luke 1.15, he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So there you talk about ordained and called. This man was called. He was a great man. And Jesus said, He that is least in the kingdom is greater than he. That's right. You put yourself down, you're putting John down. Alexander Ivanov did this glorious painting of that event when the angel Gabriel visited Zechariah back in the 19th century. The painting was done. John said that Jesus was greater than He. We're talking about greatness this morning. He said in Matthew 3.11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But He who is coming after me is mightier or greater than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. I'm not worthy to untie this man's shoes. I'm not worthy to be his armor bearer. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, and he will bring cleansing. Jesus said John the Baptist was great. John said Jesus was great. And Jesus said we were greater. Here's a painting of John the Baptist pointing Jesus out to his disciples. Painted by Venini back in the 1600s. Beautiful artwork. Jesus said that the least one in God's kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. We just looked at this. There is not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And each one of us is greater than John. Now, the Bible has a principle of interpretation in it, and that is a principle that requires a second witness. You don't want to build a doctrine or a teaching or a belief on just one scriptural witness. Otherwise, you'll take an obscure passage out of its context and form a doctrine like playing with snakes, playing with fire, drinking poison, women not cutting their hair, all sorts of other bizarre things that that somehow had meaning in the culture of that day. But if it's for all time, it's in the Scriptures more than once. And here's another witness. In Luke, he related Christ's saying, Among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Tell yourself, I am great. Now, if that's hard for you to say, it could be the programming you received as a kid. Maybe on the playground, you're told you're no good or you ain't nothing. Or, you know, we're proud but we're poor. Pride of our poverty. I don't know. I heard about an experiment that was done with Pike. This again is like the flea circus. So, you know, I've not tried it, but someone put a pike in an aquarium and then put a glass partition in that aquarium and filled the other side of the aquarium where the pike couldn't get because of the glass partition, filled it with a little fish that the pike would love to eat and left it there for a season. The pike learned that he just couldn't get to those fish. And after... A period of time of programming, the glass partition was removed and the pike starved, surrounded by fish that it could eat. What was programmed that they couldn't be gotten to. And the fish are swimming all around them. What is it that's robbing us of blessings? Opportunities could be surrounding you like crazy, but you do not realize it because of the partition placed in your life by religion, or by your childhood, or by some figure of authority that is keeping you from walking in the greatness to which God has called you. Now, if you're visiting here today, we are very much a Christ-centered church. We declare the greatness of God. But if God is great, and we're just a bunch of dorks, does that bring Him glory? If we're called to be great, but we believe we are dorks, does that bring him glory? No. Stay with me. We're not getting into error. You'll see. If we're great, how is it expressed? It's expressed by valuing the least. Placing high value on that which normally, with carnal eyes, not see as being great. In terms of humanity. Jesus said, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did it for me. God personally considers how we treat the least. The least of these are those who are poor, those who are sick, those who are naked, those who are thirsty, those who are hungry, those that are in jail. How we treat those people, the Lord personally takes it as though we're doing it for him. And one day we'll answer to him for it. So we walk in greatness by esteeming and valuing people who could be called the least of these. Greatness is expressed by valuing the least. In Matthew 18, Jesus came to his disciples. His disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, Bye-bye, great one. You will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child in my name receives one me so greatness is revealed in valuing children see that greatness is revealed by becoming as a child you can't be born again unless you're willing to become as a child and recognize i need a savior i am in error i can't do it anymore i need some help help me it's a new beginning and this is reiterated multiple times by the teaching of jesus In Mark 9, verse 33, he asked his disciples, What was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be greatest. Now, Jesus knew they were arguing about who's going to get to be the greatest. He's bringing this kingdom in. Who's going to be greatest? They're fussing over it. Instead of putting them down, saying... Who do you guys think you are? You're prideful. You're ignorant, Peter. You still smell like fish. And Matthew, you still are looked at with suspect eyes out in there in public. How can you think, no, he didn't put him down. Oh, you guys want to be great? Let me tell you how. Verse 35, he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. You want to be great? Identify with the least. Become willing to serve others as better than yourself. That is greatness in the eyes of God. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he took him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. There's something about the next generation that is close to the heart of God. Because little kids grow up, become adults. Some of the world's most horrible adults were babies at one time. Think of the problems that could have been avoided had someone not seen the greatness in that child. This child doesn't have to be the world's greatest criminal. W.C. Fields said, a guy that hates dogs and kids can't be all bad. I say, yes, they can. You hate children, you're not walking in the principle of the kingdom. Some of the greatest people in this church are in the nursery this morning. Dealing with Things that their parents don't have to deal with. Amen. Sometimes they have in there what's called a blowout. You know what a blowout is? <laughs> yeah, but can't they call mama when that time happens? Yes, they can. But not if it gets on their hands. They don't want to touch the keyboard. So they've got to deal with it. Great people value the people that are considered the least. That is just greatness. Awesome. This place should be filled with red shirts next Sunday. We're going to be dedicating great little ones, praying with them and letting the best child care possible for them take them out of here. They bring them here. Their mamas and dads are the best. We visited our grandchildren last week. We are comforted by the fact that they have the best care available. Their mama and their papa. Children are great. But they're assembled. For people that have problems, people that have needs, people that are helpless, people that are innocent, people that are ignorant, people that make messes out of their life need help. And if we are walking in our greatness, we'll do our part to help bring remedies to the situation. Greatness is expressed by value in the least. Luke 9 relates them disputing about who's the greatest. And Jesus perceived the thought in their heart, took a little child, sent him by him, and said to them, whoever receives this little child of my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. I'm personally considering how you treat children. That's what he's saying. You treat a child good, you're treating me good. You treat me good, you're treating my father good. This is big stuff. For he who is least among you all will be great. See the potential in the next generation. Some of the most annoying kids in the youth group are destined for greatness. Because we're going to deal with the annoying ones in the next generation. In Luke 22, they're still, they still don't get it. They're arguing again about who would be the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. This is what they're talking about. Who's going to be lord? Guess what? In the kingdom of God, there's only one king, and there's only one lord, and his name is? There you go. The rest of us are servants. But not so among you. On the contrary, this is how the kingdom is going to operate. He who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he who governs as he who serves. Now, because of the Christian basis on the founding of our country, as imperfect as it is and was when it was founded, our governments... Officials are called public servants. It's based on this premise. That God calls all of our leaders to return to this value where it's more than just lip service. But they truly deem, how can I serve the public and consider generations to come with every decision that we have? Rather than popularity contest. This is what the disciples were seeing. Who's going to be greatest? Who gets to be the yellow cube? Who gets to be a king of the hill? Who gets to be at the top? This is the world's interpretation of greatness. This is what Jesus does. He turns the world upside down. You want to become great, serve others. Serve those that the world says isn't so great. Serve hurting people as greater than yourself greatness is revealed by loving one another in John thirteen thirty five, Jesus said by this all will know you are my disciples let me ask you this question is it an honor to be the Lord's disciple would it be good for everyone to know that by something other than our telling them You know, spending big bucks on a billboard. We are the Lord's disciples. Everybody still won't know it. This is how they'll know. If you have love for one another. Our greatness is revealed through our love for others. Especially one another. Greatness is practiced by honoring others. In Romans 12.10, Paul writes, Be kindly affectionate. To one another, with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence. You know, don't be half-hearted with this thing. Do it diligently, honor others. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. This is what we're called to as great people. To serve one another with diligence, doing our best to help each other. And our greatness is seen by helping the weak. What are we doing this morning? We're saying the same thing 14 different ways. Well, someone will leave here and say, I got the message, Pastor. Please, let's go home and do it. Romans 15.1 We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Can scruples be something that's annoying? Well, if you're strong, you ought to be able to Bear or endure with the scruples of the weak. You ought to be able to put up with scruples of the weak. I have a friend whose breath would reach across the room and slap you upside the head. And he approached another friend of mine and said, would you please mentor me? Now, his friends, who didn't have the same issue, were bearing with his scruples. But when the doors open, then you speak the truth in love, right? So this other friend in love told him, brother, you stink. Your breath is Nasty. Get a toothbrush and use it daily, every morning and every evening, between meals or whatever. Do what you can. No wonder your boss doesn't want to talk to you. I've seen that first friend a few times since then. Never got slapped. Been up close. Been in the same room. Been in a small room with him. Somebody bore with the scruples until the right time to share the truth in love. Why? Because a second friend is great and wants to help him be great and experience a greatness. You see that? Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. This is what builds a church up. Relating to one another for their good. Not based on their past, but based on their future. May the Lord make us such a healthy church that we view one another through the eyes of their future, through the eyes of their calling, through the greatness that has been bestowed upon them and the righteousness that has been imputed to them rather than their past. For even Christ did not please himself. If you rest in the fact that you're great and now you have a calling to help others, it prevents you from living for other people's approval. I was tempted to do it, but I didn't do it because I promised you I wouldn't do it anymore. And that was put a picture up of little Prince George who doesn't know who he is yet. But when he's mature enough to find out who he is, he may have a bad day, but it's not going to shake him up because he knows better days are ahead for that boy. He is born with a dozen silver spoons in his mouth. Awaken to who you are in Christ. Awaken to who you are in Christ's words. He said, you are greater than John the Baptist. That sounds like more than a moron to me. (laughs) Let's walk in it and enjoy it. And if somebody flattens all your tires, well, thank God we're not going to put up with this in heaven. Let's see what we can do to help it. And if you know who's doing it, call the police. Well, pastor, that's a contradiction. No? You're loving your neighbors by doing that because he may do it to other neighbors if he doesn't get in trouble. Our greatness is something we are called to. I mean, this is part of our calling. Paul said, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you or beg you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. We're called to live great lives with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit In the bond of peace. If you're in a room full of people that realize they're great, and in their greatness they are practicing the value of others who are in need as greater than their own, and doing that, what does that do? That builds a strong atmosphere of peace, does it not? This is Mighty Bond superglue. But it's not as mighty as a bond of peace. Let's pray. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that my brothers and sisters would realize how great they are and how great their children are and how great the weakest one they know is. And that, Lord, we would find opportunities to serve and to help the gospel to spread. As we heard that awesome report of what's going on in the world. Lord, may we do our part to walk in our greatness. To step out of the bondage of inferiority. And religious piety that keeps us in a state of being losers. And realize the condemnation has gone. The partition has been removed. The lid is off. Get out of the jar. Get out of the chamber. And pursue what you have called us to do, Jesus' name. Lord, we recognize this is based on your greatness. And it's humbling in a healthy kind of way. Lord, I pray that no person would take these words today and use it to add it to their reasons to be prideful, to look down on others. Lord, you realize that the stronger is called to serve the weaker. You have bestowed gifts and strength to serve others. In Jesus' name, forgive us for the times we've attempted to be Lord over others. Help us to be like John the Baptist, messengers, forerunners of your second coming, preparing the way for the return of the Messiah. In Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, that you're coming for a bride without spot or wrinkle. A glorious bride with marching boots on, ready to do your will as your army. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. If you're here today and you'd like to receive prayer about anything, we'll be up here to pray with you. Right now, as they're coming forward, just come on up with them. We'll be facing you just come on up to a person facing the crowd and ask for prayers. Pastor Shake leads us in a song. Oh, I'm running to Your arms I'm running to Your arms The riches of Your love Will always be enough Nothing compares to Your riches of the world. this opportunity to receive prayer. We're here to pray with you about anything. The Lord will move mightily on your behalf. May He bless you and keep you. May He cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace, His rest, and may you walk in the greatness He has bestowed upon you. May you see yourself and others through His eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. Go get them, great ones. Go get them, great ones.